There must be hundreds of yoga studios in San Francisco. I've never taken the time to count, but it seems like on nearly every other block, yoga classes are being offered. There's Jiva Mukti and Iyengar and Flo and Hatha and Anisara. There's yoga for kids, yoga for moms, acro yoga, and even something called shadow yoga. The classes are not inexpensive, and while you don't need much equipment, the accoutrements are always beckoning. Cute yoga pants, or a yoga top, a really comfortable mat, and maybe even a yoga pillow. It's only recently that yoga has gained popularity in the West. And as we tend to do here, we've really taken it to the extreme. When watching the most recent documentary from filmmaker Kate Churchill titled Enlighten Up, we're taken into yoga studios in India, which, to my surprise, were dominated by Western practitioners. Isn't yoga supposed to be a spiritual practice? And if so, how does the business of yoga, that has quickly been generated in the United States, fit in? Kate Churchill has been practicing yoga for more than a decade, and while she began her practice with the intention of getting a physical workout, she found that some time into it, she began experiencing a spiritual transformation. So Kate decided to explore whether yoga had this inevitable effect. She asked an acquaintance, Nick, who was completely new to yoga, to dedicate six months of his life to the practice, taking classes in New York, where he lived, and India, where they traveled to, speaking with yoga teachers, practitioners, and experts to see if she could prove that yoga led to enlightenment. In Enlighten Up, we see Nick go on his journey and the relationship that ensues between Kate and Nick. And we observe the exploration around the beliefs and myths about yoga. And we're quite surprised. My name is Sonia Katanjian. This is Sight Unseen, a weekly program that speaks with artists of all different mediums, uncovering the unseen sides of art and expression. I spoke with Kate Churchill about her film Enlighten Up, which is coming out in select theaters across the U.S. Here, Kate shares how Nick initially approached yoga early on in the film. Stay tuned for that and more on this week's Sight Unseen. Nick initially felt comfortable with the physical side, and a lot of in the movie, he really struggles. Is this a fear, physical practice, or is this a spiritual practice? And that's a huge question that he keeps asking and a concept that he struggles with. And I do think, I think for men, they tend to be physically less flexible. And so um, yoga is a little bit more initially challenging for them because they're moving their bodies in ways that maybe... that hurt. Um, I think, you know, for women too, it can be the same, but for men, you know, the poor guys who try to touch their toes and they're like down at their kneecaps. And that was Nick when he started, he was like that, you know, but he definitely did go through a transformation, but I want to get back to, to your own experience. So a a little while into it, you started realizing that this was sort of, uh, there was a spiritual aspect to it. Had you grown up with spirituality in your life or religion in your life? Were you at, at all religious at the time? Or were you kind of like Nick? a clean slate, so to speak, almost. Well, the only religion that I'd grown up with was the Quaker religion. And the interesting thing about that is that the Quaker religion is based on sitting in silence. And you sit in silence until you're moved by spirit to speak or to share. And so it's actually, once you start practicing yoga, and there's a lot of similarities in it. And I had a grandmother who was very near and dear to me, um, and uh, she died right 
around the beginning when I was making this film, but she was a really dedicated Quaker, dedicated friend. And so I used to go to the meeting house with her, and, um, and I was always struck by a group of people sitting in silence. And then once I started practicing yoga, and when you go through your yoga practice, at the end everybody lies down in Shavasana and is silent. And it, it felt totally different in terms of setting, but there was something very similar to it. Well, Shavasana is a particularly interesting pose because it's translated into corpse pose, yeah. so it's sort of like a pose of death, which makes you very comfortable with death, which is, I think, a real, really big part of spirituality and religion is like what happens after you die. So if every time you're in a yoga class, you're doing a position of, broadly speaking, death, then um, it's an interesting leap. So you found those similarities between being a Quaker and, and practicing meditation and, and what yoga brings. Um, I think for Nick, there was some openness to it because of his mom. Could you explain what you, your experience was with him before he got on camera uh, in and around spirituality? Sure, yeah. I mean, I actually think because his mom, his mom's a shamanic healer, he was actually more resistant to spiritual things because I think his starting point in the film um, is that he's really uncomfortable with a lot of his mom's practices and his studies. His dad is a attorney and his mom's the shamanic healer. So that is really Nick's polar opposites in a way of the mind and the intellect versus the spiritual, the spirit and the feeling. My experience with Nick, though, before he got on camera was very limited. We only knew each other as acquaintances, and I had read um, a bunch of writing samples that he had sent me, articles that he had written. Um, I knew about his mom and dad, and so I was kind of intrigued with this idea. I had a sense that he was probably an atheist. I didn't have the sense that he was looking first and foremost to become spiritual, but I had a hunch that perhaps if he met the right person or witnessed something, that maybe he would start to open up to it. And I think in a way, you know, for Westerners, Nick, when he started this, was just turning 30. You know, a lot of people um, who've been raised with maybe some religion or very little, there's just a kind of skepticism in a way, there can be, about religion, and certainly there's been plenty of reasons in the news to have it or whatnot. And so for Nick, I don't think he ever really considered that this was going to be a spiritual awakening for him, if you will. And I'm not sure that he would even, if you if you asked him, was this a spiritual awakening, this trip? But if you said, is this a spiritual opening, you know, I think he might consider it. Well, I mean, I, I was very, I was... I really wish that I had been Nick. It seemed like such an amazing, <laughs> amazing experience, an amazing trip. So you really wanted someone that was a skeptic. I mean, that, 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 that makes sense that that's why you didn't use yourself. Yeah, I thought this skepticism was important because I wanted this to be a movie not just for people who currently practice yoga, but also for people who don't practice, who kind of make fun of yoga, who are considering it. And I thought that not only as um, that it was important to have a beginner, so someone who is coming to it fresh, but I thought the skepticism coupled with his being a journalist and his ability to investigate could really lead us to um, an interesting search where he could ask challenging questions, where, you know, he could dig into the subject matter um, and really kind of uh, try to sort out what made sense for him. One question that I, I wanted answered was 
you know, how I think the main reason why people are skeptical of yoga is just because of all the money around it, you know, the yoga clothes and the yoga mats and the yoga accoutrements and and also the the yoga schools are just so they're so fancy, like like Jiva Mukti, like Cindy Lee, like like Rodney Yee and all these big names. I I'm curious to know how the Western yoga teachers feel about that. I'm sure you must have explored that. Do you do you know why they how they feel about the fact that it's become so commercialized? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think some of them are, uh, you know, will say, hey, it's a, this is the way that we can reach a lot of people and people are going to spend money and we can support ourselves and also use the money to support other good things too. Other teachers, Western teachers, are really funny about talking about their business. And one of the questions that we ask, which is in the opening of the film, is um, we went to a yoga journal conference in Estes Park, and we had interviews with kind of every name that you can imagine, you know, the star lineup of teachers, many of them who are featured in the opening few minutes of the film. We, we interviewed a lot more that we actually had to cut out. And I would say, what does your yoga business entail? And a number of them would say, you know, I don't really call it a business or I rankle at the word business or I don't really think of myself as a businessman, which to me is funny because yoga is a multi-billion dollar business. And I guess for me, I find the teachers who kind of say, yeah, we do. We have an 8,000 square foot studio. Like Cindy Lee will say, it's crazy. I have an 8,000 square foot studio in New York City and people are coming and they're filling up and it's great. You know, in a way that's so much more refreshing to me than people saying, well, I'm not a businessman. But you are because you sell products there's nothing wrong with that we live in a capitalistic society if you don't want to be capitalistic about your yoga go be norman allen norman allen lives in hawaii he lives off the grid he doesn't charge his students to come to the yoga class he charges his students if they don't come to class and that was something that actually didn't make it in the film we uh, we cut it but to me i'm like so there and i would say to him well why don't you charge and he says oh well you can't charge for your art you know so i i kind of feel like if you have a business own it and do a good job with marketing it and and if you're making profit decide if you're going to keep all that profit or help things you believe in like sean corn she has she does all this great work with street kids, you know, and really is focused on that and uses her positioning like she's done ads for Nike. And she uses that to give exposure to her causes, you know. So there's a whole range. But it's funny. There have been a couple Western teachers who have pretty, you know, kind of big names who've got taken issue with the opening of the film. And um, one of them even um, took issue and he never saw the film. But someone told him. And I was like, well, would you like to see the movie? You know why? So I think it's a touchy subject, actually. It is a touchy subject. I mean, I'm sure it is. And it's, it's funny because the Dalai Lama, who these yoga teachers are studying um, Buddhism at all, would say is a, is a total realist and would say just call things for what they are. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point of, of this life is look at what really is going on and find your way through it. I love the beginning of the film. Would you mind describing to our listeners what the beginning is and what people might have, what viewers might have taken offense to? Yes, yeah, so the opening of the film is really the setup of why I wanted to make 
this movie and why I want to go on this journey. And so it, it, it establishes that I'm a first and foremost a filmmaker, but also a yoga practitioner, and that I really believe in yoga, um, but I have questions about it. And through the opening few minutes of my voiceover, and you're seeing me kind of walking around, it's intercut with these interviews we did at the Yoga Journal Conference in Estes Park. And we asked these teachers all the same questions. And they frequently have very different answers, even when it's something like, how old is yoga? So for me, it's almost like the opening of the film is a, a stat check-in, if you will, on yoga. It's kind of, what could yoga do? Why do you do yoga? Where can yoga lead a person? How old is yoga? What does your yoga business entail? And, and these questions I'm asking to these very famous teachers as I'm raising questions about yoga. And it's all the setup to say, so I created an experiment and I'm going to take, I'm going to select someone and take them anywhere in the world for six months and investigate yoga and see what happens. And that's when you meet Nick. And that is the point in the movie where I really hand over the film to Nick and everything from that point on in the movie is through Nick's perspective like you may see me and I may step on and but I don't narrate the film from that point on until the very end and everything is told through Nick's eyes you know and how he's experiencing it I mean I, I do understand the the desire to have a, a skeptic but but you are coming to it somewhat skeptical I mean why not yourself yeah. it would have been yeah. Fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that's you. easy for you to yeah. say. <laughs> um, you know, I never intended to be in this movie. When I started out, I, I um, had no intention. We did not film it that way. In fact, there is one point when I'm on interview, you know, in front of camera, and that was done as a joke. I was like, okay, Nick, let me show you how it's done. I'll step in front of the camera. Of course, Nick has a slightly different take, and when we do Q&As, he likes to say that he said to me, you know, you really need to get on camera so we can document it. But um, in any event, so... You know, I came from a school of thought of documentary filmmaking that you, as a filmmaker, were not in your films, that you created or you followed a story, not created, but in this case we did because we created an experiment, but you had a story that you followed and you followed it theoretically without any intrusion. Now, the truth of documentary films and what we really tried to capture in this is that you cannot observe something without affecting it. It's impossible. And in the past, I had made films, a lot of them for television, for Nova and National Geographic, where you do everything you need to to get a story, and then you cut all that stuff out. And after cutting a version of this film like that, we took nine months, we cut a version of the film without me in it, just Nick. And the whole time, the editor was saying, I don't know if this is going to work. And at the end of it, it didn't work. You know, people were like, what is Nick reacting to? At which point we really had to assess the material and really assess it looking for conflict. And that's what led us to the decision. We spent five months mining the material. And at the end of those five months, we had this huge wall in the office with cards that had any point of tension in the material and 500 hours of footage. And at the end of it, we looked at it, and the most consistent conflict was between Nick and me. And so the two editors turned and looked at me and said, well, guess who's going in the movie? So, you know, I never even considered myself, and part of it was for documentary filmmaking reasons, and the other thing was that I already felt I had lots of ideas about yoga, 
And I wanted to start with like this clean slate perspective. And that was part of it. But the movie that we made was so different. The movie that we ended up with, Enlighten Up as it is now, is so different than the movie that I had set out to make. And namely, the change in the way it, in, in its outcome rests in this sort of relationship and dynamic that was created between the two of you. Why do, why do you think there was that conflict? How would you describe that conflict? Yeah, so as the journey goes on, we have six months, and we start in New York City, go to the West Coast, end up in Hawaii, and then we go throughout India. And I started in a place of really having huge expectations. I mean, in the beginning, had you spoken to me, and it would have been, like, I now I think, oh, I wish someone had interviewed. You know, I had done, like, a radio interview back then because how funny it would have been to cut back to it, you know, because I really believe this is, like, a slam dunk. I mean, six months, we can go anywhere in the world. In yoga, it's great. If we can find the right teacher, like, this guy's going to be levitating. There'll be, like, light bulbs going off out of his ears, you know, like, I was sure. Like, I say it in jest, but I really thought there would be some major dramatic transformation that would be happening in front of me, and I could document it. And so I think the tension that builds between Nick and me and really becomes a driving engine of the film, and in some ways it's ironic, you know, the deeper we get into our meetings with these gurus, the more conflicted we're becoming and the farther away we are from the lessons that we're learning, you know, and and you kind of can see it. But it was really fueled by my expectations and the pressure that those expectations had on Nick and Nick really clinging to his identity. And and he was bound and determined. He would say, you know, I'm not going to fake a transformational moment, whatever that is, for a camera, you know. And so we really, it got worse and worse and worse to the point where we really both kind of completely butt heads. And then I think we were both so discouraged. Honestly, that was when it started to get better. Because I was like, whatever, Nick. You know what? What do you want to do? And things kind of start. And we were also at that point going to northern India, which is off the grid. It's just really, we started following Bhakti Yogis, which is a yoga of devotion. And it's as if you'd gone to Mars. And because we were at the final stage of our journey and we'd been on the road for so long, I think the whole things just kind of started to click in ways. And we and I, at that point, was releasing my expectations out of frustration, if nothing else. <laughs> Not a good reason. <laughs> well, I mean, expectations is, that's you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful that that's the story because expectations are what stumble us all constantly. You know, they're, they're the thing that... Um, really get us out of reality. I mean, it's they're part of a fabricated reality, and it's it's very hard to for anything to rise to our expectations. Sometimes it surpasses it, sometimes it falls below it, but it's never quite what we think it's going to be. So are you and Nick still friends, or do you still communicate? Yeah, yeah, we are. We, we There was a period of time from the end of the film that we really didn't enjoy spending time together. In fact, we, at the end, about... Two, a month after we came back from India, um, we got together because Nick had kept a daily journal throughout the experience. And so we got together to record it. And it ended up being seven hours of tape recorded. And a lot of it was not that great. You know, a lot of it was material about me or material about doubts. Or, I mean, it just was hard to listen to. And to make it even worse, it was New England. It was wintertime. Because we were recording, we couldn't 
turn the um, heat on so we were freezing kind of opposite from today where it's so nice and hot in here you know we were sitting there like shivering as we were recording and just you know I think it was like we got through seven hours and I kind of turned off the machine and was like okay great so you know what time your train is back to New York you know or something I mean that was it and then through the course of editing the film and really at the point where I started to assess the material and look at my role in it, then I think I started to realize how much of an impact those expectations that we were talking about did have on Nick. And I, I really started to have like an empathy for him and to also to give him a sense of credit. And then we started a series of discussions about the film and the experience that kind of allowed our relationship to, to start anew in a way. And now we travel together. We do question and answers in all different cities. And it's great. We really enjoy each other's company. You know, um, I think, of course, now the pressure's off. And we have a lot of fun. And we enjoy talking with people about the film together because we still bring such different perspectives to it. But but we're good friends now. I mean, we don't, you know, it's not like we talk all the time, but when we see each other, we always really have fun and it's good to hang out, you know. Well, you went through, you know, kind of profound experience together. I'm sure the experience must have offered you a sense of transformation as well. Yeah, I mean, I worked on this film for five years. Now, three of those years was in the edit room. So I would really have to say that my transformation, my learnings, my sense of awareness really happened while I was editing. Because when I was in the field for those six months, I was so wound up in the expectations again, in, in needing to capture something, you know, in worrying if it sounded right, if it looked right, all this stuff that I really wasn't present at all. And in a way, as grueling as it was to spend three years editing a film with this film, Having 500 hours of material, it allowed me the opportunity to listen to all of these teachers, you know, again and again and again and relive the experience by with putting aside all that pressure I felt and just kind of let their teaching sink in and let the experience sink in. And then ultimately through putting myself in the film, and really, I mean, it's as an antagonist. The editors used to try to call it the impact character to, I think, make me feel better. But it's the antagonist. And so doing that, which was also really humbling, I think the whole journey led me to a real, a place of just so much more awareness than I had ever imagined. Awareness of how my actions impacted others, how my presence could be a positive or a negative thing and the importance of letting go of your expectations of letting go of how you wanted something to work and all of these things are really important lessons in yoga but I would say I probably learned them in a way that worked best for me in the edit room versus on a yoga mat but in the edit room I got to listen to yoga teachers all day long so it was this kind of funny hybrid experience and you know I'm now in a place where I feel like I've gotten to the place where I feel like I know nothing you know like the idea of starting another film I'm like oh, I have no idea how and you know as far as yoga goes I'm wide open like I'll go practice anywhere now with any teacher I usually just practice at home and kind of do an eclectic mix but people will say well is this the right yoga should I do and I'm like if it works for your schedule and you like it it's great then that's right yoga. So for me, it's about just a kind of new sense of being open to 
in ways that I don't think I was five years ago. And thank goodness, because all the people in my life, I think they could really, it, it's, it's much more gentle on them when I, when I am that way, <laughs> as you'll see in the movie. <laughs> you know, the, there is a sort of inconclusive nature to the film about what yoga is, which is great, which, yeah. is, which is precisely what it is, is that it's not this one fixed thing. It's, it can be a physical practice. It can be a spiritual practice. It's what you make of it, what you, what you bring to it. I think the kirtan singer said, Nick said, right. what do I have to lose? And the kirtan singer said, whatever you're ready to lose. Yeah. And I thought that's totally right. Yeah, and also, you know, one of my favorite lines of the movie is the, the guru at the end when Nick is asking, well, how can I be my, true to myself? He says, pauses, and he says, get rid of everything that you are wearing that you are not. And I love that phrase. It's like, get rid of everything I'm wearing that I'm not. You know? And it's just such a simple idea and so essential and hard to do. It is very hard to do because what you're wearing you identify so much with, so it's very hard to figure out, well, what, isn't that me? Is that not me? I've, I've been in these habits for so long, it seems like it would be me. What was one thing that you wished could have stayed in the film? Like something that either one of the teachers said in India or what do you, not, you know, not, yeah. I'm sure there are lots, but so I'm sure there's so many, but just, you know, pick out of a hat. Oh, it's such a tough question because there's a phrase in the edit room called killing your darlings. And it's when you just, regardless of loving a scene and really thinking it's essential, it just doesn't serve the story. And it doesn't matter how profound a moment it is or special or funny or how famous the teacher is in this case, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Um, and we had a lot of darlings that we had to kill because we had a lot of material. So there was one scene in the opening that I always really loved where Nick went to go uh, visit Russell Simmons, who's known as the godfather of hip hop. You know, he brought Run DMC on and he, I mean, he's kind of endless in credits and he's a really dedicated yoga pr practitioner and, and has a whole um, attitude about it. That's so different and kind of gritty and street like in ways. And Nick and he had a really great conversation that we had to cut. It just didn't make sense. It kind of got lost. Nick also went and spent a lot of time with Dharma Mitra, who you see in the movie and had a, a bunch of pretty profound conversations with him about meditation that were great and really compelling, but it didn't work, you know? And then I could kind of go on for hours about various teachers we had to cut. There's one other moment that I loved, and I was so sad to cut it, which is right when we got into Northern India and we were walking on the beach and we were going, we had met a sadhu that day. A sadhu is a, a renunciate. And we had met a sadhu that day. And we um, were uh, going to try to find him on the beach. And we couldn't find him, but we ran into two other sadhus. And we were asking them some questions. And they started reciting poetry. And the sun was setting. We were right by the river. And they were going on and on. And you'd think of these people as... Uh, potentially like a homeless person or something, you know, but they're not. They're, this person could have had a really a full life and been a very wealthy businessman or something. They had just become a renunciate and they just sat there and did, you know, kept reciting this poetry in the sunset and it was really something. It was very unusual. Those were the words of Kate Churchill 
filmmaker most recently of Enlighten Up, a film that looks at the practice of yoga, exploring the myths and the ideas that surround it, and seeing if it can truly transform just about anyone. The film is showing in theaters across America. To learn more about it, please visit enlightenupthefilm.com. My name is Sunny Katendian. This is Sight Unseen, shedding light on the creative world through candid conversations with the artists of our time. You're listening to Resonance, 104.4 FM, the UK's first radio art station. Thank you very much. 